0: You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Hey everybody, thanks for coming back to another episode of the Hunter's Advantage podcast. This is episode number 93, and today we're going to be talking about three challenges that you might encounter when you are filming your hunts. We did a previous episode, that'd be episode 84, where we talked about the three reasons that we're trying to, the three reasons to film your hunt, and today we're going to offer the counter-argument of three challenges that could possibly come up when you're filming your hunts. Um, What?
1: I said there are more,
0: but no. There's there's plenty of of challenges, but today I'm joined by uh, Jacoby Gaylord. What's going on?
1: Not a lot, not a lot. What are you up to?
0: Shooting a podcast with Jacoby.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah, you know what it is. You must be lucky. I'm I'm blessed. I can get on your calendar. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we just to preface a little bit. We film our hunts. We've been filming our hunts for about five years now. And when it all works out, it's a great experience. We, we enjoy it and we enjoy sharing the video, but there's a lot of cases where it can run hunts and cause you to be less successful. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So in the vein of that, do we want to kick off with number one? I'll get your perspective, my perspective, and then we'll move on to the next one. And then later on, we'll get into the new segment of the show where we do Q&A from our
1: community on TikTok. Let's
0: do it. So... Number one,
1: you want to go first this time since I went first last time? Fine, fine. Okay, don't twist my
0: arm. <laughs> um, number one, so the first challenge that you're going to see when you're trying to film your hunts is the more weight or the additional weight that you have to carry into the woods, and it's not necessarily the weight of the camera that sucks, it's an aggregate of all the little pieces that it takes to set up um, your camera. So you have a camera arm, you have a strap that goes around the tree. That's usually a freaking heavy part of it is that, that a uh, ratchet strap you, if you're going to run a second angle camera, you need one of the, um, some sort of post to screw into the tree or wrap around the tree to have that hanging off of. Then you got your GoPro, you got your camera, your batteries, all those things add up and it just adds up to more aggregate weight. Like, Do you, do you feel a noticeable difference when you're going and not filming versus when you're filming in your bag?
1: So let's say we're at our, uh, annual public land hunting trip, right? Yep. And if I'm setting a spot that I already have all my gear set up, it's a good day. I don't know how much extra weight that is. Like I'm not even including the stand or anything, but you have kind of like you said, the strap, the camera arm, the fluid head. And you have all those little pieces and depending on what time of the year it is if it's still hot it is awful because you're you're already dripping sweat by the time you get there and then once you get there you're not even done yet because it's like oh yay I'm, I'm, I'm to the tree well the work just begun so yeah. once you set it up and all that stuff what do you think how how much weight do you think that adds on just the camera gear
0: well i run a, a battery grip on my camera so that adds another Battery into the camera, yeah. the the arm, dude. It's got to be, it's got to be close to ten pounds with everything together. That ratchet strap and camera arm itself weighs several pounds.
1: Yeah, which there are lighter options, but we just hadn't ventured out that far.
0: No, but we also don't run the Muddy Pro arm. That's like six, seven pounds with the giant. So we're running a fairly streamlined. We run the Hawk Hunt Hard um, camera arm, and so yeah. it's I'm literally just a single yeah. pivot a two-piece arm, and those aren't even the heavy ones from the ones that I've considered. Mm-hmm. So, th- just just to break that down, there's a, there's a lot of weight. There's a lot of weight that you add when you introduce filming, and, you know, if you're going to be hunting on private land, and you're not walking very far, it's really not that big of an issue, but when you're hunting public, say you're hunting a mile back in there, you might want to consider taking other things out of your bag if you're going to film. Because... Cool.
1: Yeah, that's a good point too. So let's say you're not hunting public, and you set up your stand, or even if you are, you already got you already got like a ladder stand or something hung up. Well, normally I like to take at least an extra layer, like a jacket or something, to throw in my bag, even if it's not like super super cold. And you want all that stuff on the top part of your bag. So like, if you're if you zip everything up, then you want to like. As soon as you unzip it, you can just start unloading everything. And usually, piece by piece, whichever piece you're going to put in first, that's the piece you want up top. But if you strap everything out on the outside of your bag, that's a different story too.
0: Fair play. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on on weight? I mean, this is a fairly simplistic topic. I mean, if you're going to film, you're going to add weight. So I think we covered I co- we covered weight enough. Um, if, if you're going to be filming, whether it's on public, whether it's on private, you're going to have more weight to your bag. It's just a consideration. I don't need, I don't know if you need to go train like an athlete to be able to accommodate that weight, but you may consider taking something out of your bag that's maybe non-essential so that you can have a lighter weight setup or or an equal setup. Um, so moving on to number two, we got the additional movement that it requires um, to film. What do you think about that one? How's that a challenge?
1: So, uh, yeah, yeah you're obviously going to have more movement. You got that big old uh, camera arm sticking out from the tree. You got uh, the fluid head. And so you're going to be moving it unless you know you're on private and you know, and you you got a corn pile, which I do pretty often when I'm hunting back at home, you can, you know, kind of give yourself a, uh, a head start and basically situate everything where the camera's already pointing at the, uh corn pile or whatever, because you know that's where they're gonna be. You probably know where they're gonna come out at. And uh so that can help eliminate movement a little bit. But uh if you hunt public or whatever and they could come out at a million different angles, then you don't really know where your where your shots gonna be. And then if you set the camera up on camera arm up on let's say the wrong side of the tree. So you predict they're gonna come out from the left and they come and you say you set your camera arm out from the left, you have your bow on the right, or vice versa. And he comes out on the opposite side. Well, our camera arm, at least for me, I know you you hunted the saddle last season. But for a person, a climber, if you're sitting down, which I normally shoot sitting down when I'm in my climber. because I got my uh, that little bar across the side uh, in the front sawed off. So I normally try to shoot sitting down. Well, that camera arm doesn't extend enough to reach around my body. So what I'll normally have to do is try to stand up and then move it between me and the tree. Ooh, see if that painted a very good picture. I'm not sure if it did or not, but uh, so yeah, there's that movement. Uh, I got something else to add on movement, but I'll, I'll let you give your take on just movement for right now.
0: I think you talked about movement while you're either trying to film the animal, but another type of movement that I would consider is setup right? Like there's a lot of movement that goes into you setting up. So if you're going to be filming, I want to give the audience something they can take away. You need to consider getting in the stand a little bit earlier if you're going to be filming, because Mm -hmm. when you're setting up your camera arm, whatever you've budgeted in time, just go ahead and double it. Because when you're you're fumbling around with all the pieces in your bag and you're like, where's the strap? Where's this? Where's the arm actually? at? Where's the fluid head that I got to screw on? Um, there's a lot of movement that goes into setting the whole system up into the tree. And so what sucks the worst is when day is just breaking and you're like, all right, I'm about to start seeing deer and you haven't even started to put your camera arm on the tree. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: then you're like fumbling. What I like to do is I like to get in early enough where I can just take it out piece by piece real slow. And I'm making sure that I'm not clanking anything together and I'm ratcheting it up really slowly and I'm not making any excess noise. Um, so there's a lot of movement that goes in getting it set up. And if you allocate enough time beforehand, you can do that, um, in slower increments and you don't have to bang stuff off the tree, bang stuff off your tree stand. So that's just something I would say on movement, because in my mind, there is a lot of movement that goes into filming, um, while you're trying to film and the arm and obviously you have something else to worry about. But in my mind, the, the setup is where a lot of the movement comes, and so you just got to be mindful of that when, um, when you're getting set up.
1: That's true because you can't can't really hurry doing that stuff, or else you're just gonna literally make so much noise. Because, because I mean, at least at least our arms are just like all metal on metal. So if you cling anything off of it, it just rings the whole dang ridge you're on. No, yeah, and there was something else I wanted to say.
0: Oh, so another, another tip, if you guys are hunting out of climbers or hang on, if you're, if you're hunting in a seated position, what I've found to be helpful to reduce movement is trying to put that camera arm almost like belly button or hip level. So it's right there, you know, kind of aligned with your body. One one thing I've did and messed up on a lot is putting the camera arm, what I thought was like hip level. And then I sit down and it's basically like at my head and I'm like, crap. And so every time that I had to, try if a deer walks in and i'm trying to film it i have to reach my hand above my head and they're like what's going on there but if it's you know kind of secluded right there by your hip you basically are just inching a few you're only moving a few inches and you can grab your fluid head and start to adjust it that way so i think that's another tip in how to reduce movement while you're filming
1: oh for sure and that that was kind of my uh my second feel that i was going to do uh kind of off the top topic of movement, but you put it more into the movement perspective, but like setup wise, you're right on the hip. Like you want it right there on the hip because at least in my climber, if if I try to put the whole system, like, like above my top piece where my seat is, then it's entirely way too high. Like I'll have to stand up and it's still like shoulder high after I stand up. Yeah. And, uh, so what I found if you have, I'd probably consider ours like, like just a normal, average uh camera arm and so i feel like with the majority of the systems that other people like are planning on buying or whatever uh the best way i found it is to put it in between the top piece of the climber and the bottom piece of the climber which it's awkward at first and it takes a little bit more finagling especially if like you're wanting to leave like you're wanting to hunt the same spot like the very next sit well, you gotta climb your way down to go eat lunch or or get down for the night or whatever. So uh there's that movement in a sense too, because what I have to do is I have to take my camera arm down uh like like off the uh off the little shoulder mount that mounts to the tree and then move my top part of my climber down uh past it and then rehook it which I always take my camera anyways, but I leave my camera arm, but there's that movement as well. And, uh, if you don't have any sort of safety system, that is also kind of dangerous because you're kind of like not having a grip on your top climber before it's like seated, seated to the tree. So
0: yeah. I do want to give a quick mention to people that are considering saddle hunting. In my opinion, saddle hunting is the easiest way to film because you're already hanging off of the tree and you can position the camera in between you and the tree. So any movement that you're going to be rotating around the tree, you already have the the fluid head and handle just right there. And so for people that might be considering another reason to switch the saddle, it makes it a little bit easier to film in my opinion. It's it's not hard to film out of a out of a hang-on or a climber, but I do feel like there's in a hang-on or a climber there's a strong side and there's a weak side. Your strong side is the side that your camera's on, and everything else on the weak side can be kind of tough to film on if you don't go around the tree. So that's another consideration for a lot of people that are switching into a saddle is it does make it a little easier to film. Yeah, I can see that. All right, moving into number three. I'm going to let you start on this one again because this is one of yours. The third challenging thing. Like we said, there's plenty more, but we're just going to touch on three. The third challenging thing about self-filming um, your hunts is more of a mental checklist that you have to go through. And this is kind of a caveat. There's a slash here, slash missed shot opportunities. You want to touch on that one, Jay? Because this is a little bit of a sore subject.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I already know you. I know that you know what I'm going to say.
0: So, uh, give it to the audience, give them all the pain and suffering,
1: uh, all the pain and suffering. Yeah. So, uh, there are going to be missed shot opportunities for sure. There's going to be deer that should be going home with you. That's just not, and they're still going to be out there walking around as, as you're listening to this. The best way to explain that is to expl- uh, tell you this example, I would feel like. So public lands, I hear the deer coming up from behind me. I know he's coming. I turn the camera on plenty of time. Have everything. Like everything just this picture perfect by the book type scenario when it comes to like filming. Like I already have GoPro overhead rolling. Second angle. I got the main camera rolling already pointed. This buck comes walking out. It's pretty, pretty good buck. Uh, Strutting out 35 yards. I got a clear shot. Well, I'm like, well, this thing's. I feel like I know where he's going to walk. He's probably going to walk right out in front of me. And at the point he's about 35 yards to my left, I can shoot him at like at this moment. Well, me being greedy, I already have him in frame, but I was like, I'm just going to zoom up on him just a little bit, make the shot a
0: little crisper.
1: So I, uh, at the moment, I'm like, zooming the lens in because uh get that dslr so you gotta zoom in by the lens uh turn it zooms in a little bit well he starts walking well this is the first time i ever came granted this is the camera's fault but then again it isn't uh because i could have took shot right there if i wouldn't have been messing with the camera well little side story we've been getting a lot of uh, bears down there, a lot more pictures of bears. So in the back of my mind, when I was walking in, I was like, I'm going to take a different route because the route I usually take, that's where that bear crosses, which I I, I had to cross this path, path anyways, after I thought about it, but I was like, I'm just going to take this way. And it's, it's more clear as I'm walking in. And by doing that, I should have known because back from behind me is where all the deer usually come out from anyways. So, I just walked directly to my stand, and it just so happened that that deer, after he started walking from that 35-yard opening, he cut my trail right there, and he stopped behind like a little twig. Long story short, didn't get a shot. Uh, he uh, he wended my trail and got out of dodge. Long story short, I was tinkering with the camera trying to get a better shot. And uh it cost me. When in previous years before the camera, if I didn't have nothing to, you know, show anybody or anything like that, I heard him walking in. I knew where he was probably gonna go. I would already have that ranged and uh basically more than likely would have been able to get a shot off. And at 35 yards, it's kind of a I'd consider that a pretty good, pretty easy shot, especially for down there. And uh, but that also kind of leads back into the mental checklist. Like, from what I just said in the beginning, like, I already had the, like, it, depending on how many, like, how fancy you want to get with the filming starters, I would only just use the, the main camera. Like, I wouldn't worry about any second angles or anything like that until you just kind of get the hang of it, because uh, you got to kind of still make it fun. If you throw too much into it, it can just be more work than just fun. And, uh, so, yeah, middle checklist. If you're filming, you got the second angle, so you got to reach up, make sure, which involves movement. You got to reach up, turn the GoPro on, turn your main camera on, flip it around, press record, zoom in, do all that stuff. And this is all before you really range or even really grab your bow and hook on your release. And if you're not filming, all you got to do is range, grab your bow, hook on your release. And so so enough
0: steps anyways.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That by itself is is enough plain and simple but uh yeah that's my two cents what about yours
0: i agree i think as a as a video editor what i would say for people that can if you can get the deer in frame even if it's zoomed out that's okay you can always crop in on it later it's one of the reasons that i shoot in 4k so if it's cropped out i can crop in and still be 1080p um still be good quality but yeah, there's definitely some barriers in between you and shooting that deer. I mean, usually, like, like you said, before you shoot the deer, you got a few things you got to do. You got to range the deer. You got to click on your release. You got to draw back and you got to shoot. There's four steps, right? Mm. Before you had a camera in there, you're talking from the time that you see that deer to the time an arrow flies. We're talking six, seven steps. Um, a lot has to go right. And we're hunting deer on our rutcation that we take every year. These deer, they, they might stop. They might not you know, maybe, maybe not. So, um, there's a lot of steps and you have to, you have to know your priorities. If you're, if you're, um, you know, I see a lot of people on Instagram, like they take a picture of their food. They say phone eats first. If you're committed to filming camera has to eat first. Um, but some people will say, I will never pass a deer because I didn't get it on camera. That's okay. Um, and I think we have a little bit of a different, uh, goals and values, but, it's just something that you have to have to consider. It's it's more of a mental chest checklist. There's more things, more steps in between you and shooting a deer, and you might miss a shot opportunity because of it. But when it works out, it's amazing. When everything works out, it's it's the, the best.
1: Oh, that's that's true. But do you have a sob story like that? Or am I the only Did I miss one
0: because of the camera? Yes. Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm just a beast cameraman, dude. Yeah.
1: But say so you're just better than I am. That's, that's hundred percent true. <laughs>
0: no, I think, I think I don't, I, I think I, I don't get greedy too on the, on the cameras. Like for instance, the, the buck I shot on public this year, was it framed in correctly? Was it zoomed in? No, it was zoomed out. Granted my camera was eight feet above my head and I didn't really exactly know where the deer was, but yeah. Um, so we don't want to discourage you guys from filming. I want you guys to be encouraged. Um, to film your hunts because we think it's rewarding and it's fun. It's always awesome to go back and relive those memories. I know we do that freaking all summer. I go, I go rewatch all of our videos and just get pumped up again for the deer season. So there's a lot of benefits. If you guys want to hear three of the top reasons, go check out that podcast episode we did a few weeks ago. Um, But just, just so you guys are aware, there's a lot of challenging things that we definitely didn't list them all about self-filming your hunts.
1: But Mm -hmm. nonetheless, still do it. Still do it. We'd still
0: recommend. So with that, we're going to move into the Q and a portion of the show. This is quickly becoming one of our favorite parts of the podcast. So we'll start out with question. Number one, Jake and I will both give.
1: Can I say something real quick about, yeah. about filming? Go ahead. If if you don't have like a YouTube channel or anybody to really share it with, we would love to see your kill shots. So yes. if, you do film your hunts or you're planning on filming your hunts and you get one on film, whether it be a doe, a coyote, a pig, Spike, cat, a big old matter. buck. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Let us know. Send it to us. We'd love to see it.
0: I love watching that crap.
1: Oh yeah. It gets me hype.
0: Or if you just want to send us your reactions of you shooting a deer, I, I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. Share it with us. All right. So let's move into Q and a, um, number one, so this is how it's going to work. I'm going to ask a few questions. Jake's going to answer, then I'll answer, and we'll just work through them, and when we're done, we'll wrap up the episode. So question number one comes from JD JDJD in Hedge. I, I, it's probably just a bunch of letters together. I don't know exactly how to say your name uh, from TikTok, and he asks, how much would I practice archery or bow shooting? So I think what he's trying to say is, how much should I practice for archery? Mm-hmm. What do you got for him, Jake? Oh, you said you'd go first this time. Oh my God. All right. Um, (laughs) Well, it depends if if you're trying to hunt, I would say often I I tip I typically try to build some sort of muscle memory. So I'm a big proponent of shooting your bow often, even if it means that you have to shoot it less. So instead of shooting 70 arrows one time a week, I would recommend shooting 10 arrows seven times a week. That's just how I feel about it. Um, I would say, If you're starting out and beginning, the more practice, the better. I would recommend at least picking up your bow and shooting it two two, two to three times a week. And that's starting right now. I'm not talking about starting a month before season. You and your bow need to be melded into one by the time that bow season starts, because when that deer comes in, it's going to be muscle memory that you're going to rely on. It's not going to be any thought. You're just going to do what you've been doing and how you've been practicing. So the short answer is as much as you can. What do you think?
1: I like that. I like that. Uh, Yeah, I would say just kind of add on with with what you just said uh, as much as you can and just try to build that muscle memory. Because I think I touched on this the last podcast, but uh, oh, where am I trying to go with this? For me personally, if whenever a deer walks in, and I mean, still to say, I feel like I've been doing it for a while. And still yet, if, if like hunting's all situational and things happen where you don't really get a a chance to think like things, you know, if a buck's chasing a doe during the rut, it's coming quick sometimes. And so a lot of times you just have a chance to draw back and stop them and shoot. Now, hopefully you get a range in there and stuff like that. Like you, like, obviously you want to try to be as uh, efficient as possible. But a lot of times for me, my mind just goes like a blur and you got to rely like heavy, at least I do on muscle memory. So that's basically all I would have to add on that.
0: That sounds good. I agree. Um, our next question comes from Marshall Smith, six, three, three. He says, how do you think I should start hunting at 15? Don't have enough land and I want to hunt more. Well, Marshall, I'm actually going to click on your profile real quick and see if you say where you're from. All right, you do not. So we also have had this this sort of problem. Um, you don't have enough land and you want to hunt more. Well, I understand that you're 15, you can't drive. So I would be on my best behavior with my grandparents or my mom or my dad, <laughs> and I would get on your local um, either either Onyx hunt stand hunt wise, one of those apps or your uh, local DNR um, or department of wildlife conservation and find some public land near you. Granted, that might be 15 minutes from you, or it might be a couple hours, the closer, the easier, but I would be trying to find those pieces of public land near me that I could hunt more often. Um, and a big part of that for you, since you can't drive is going to be being in right relationship with your folks or your grandparents or anyone you know that has a car that can take you and drop you off. So that's a lot to ask, but I'd be making sure I'm on my best behavior so someone could drop me off on public land. And and if you live hell anywhere in the U.S., you're going to have some sort of public land within a few hours from you. Hopefully it's closer than that, but that's what I would do, man, is just find a ride and find some public land, and you're not going to learn by – sitting on the couch, you're going to learn by going out there on public and absolutely messing it up time and time again. And one of these times you might, uh, might get it done and learn something, but that'd be my advice for someone that's 15. that doesn't have any land to hunt.
1: I think you nailed it right on the head. Uh, I mean, depending if you live in town or not, or like a big city or whatever, uh, if you're kind of in the rural area, but you like, you just don't have a whole lot of land yourself to hunt or any huntable land. Now you're 15, so granted you can't drive, but if you're able to do a little door knocking, hand in hand hand what Christian said, you know, if someone will drive you, do a little door knocking to your neighbors, look on on X, see if they got a good chunk of land. Depending on where you're at, they could be all about you hunting it, or they could tell you to piss off. And it's fine because it's just a no. You don't have permission before you ask, and if you still don't have permission after you ask, nothing's changed. So that's
0: the way I look at it. Worst they can say is get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. One of our, one of my best duck hunting ponds I ever had was like an 86 year old lady that just happened to have a pond behind <laughs> her house. Yeah. And we knocked on our door and she was like, sure. And the only contingency she had for us hunting it was park in my driveway. So no one else comes up and asks me to hunt. And then I can tell them that you guys hunt here. And I was like, all right. So you never know until you ask. But if you don't have that route, public's going to be your best bet. So, uh, this one's not a question, but we got a, a nice comment from Philopi. He said, Not a question, but love the content. Wanted to give him a shout out on the pod. I well, said, Thank if you. The,
1: if he loves the content be, and if he's listening, be sure to give this uh, podcast a five star review.
0: That's right. Thank you, Philopi. Yes. <laughs> I didn't re- read this guy's name before he answered before he asked the question, but I love it. He's got a picture of like a 160 inch buck as his profile picture, just a nighttime trail cam photo, and his name is Big Daddy B861. <laughs>
1: I think that's the dude from uh, Southeast, isn't it?
0: Yeah, he said low turkey numbers here in Southeast Oklahoma. Yeah. That is a topic; it's not much of a question, um, but yeah, to- turkey numbers in in the South in general are are down. And the numbers down being down in Southeast Oklahoma, I don't think is a problem that's unique to Southeast Oklahoma. And I think it's actually plaguing Southwest or just Western Oklahoma, even more. Um, Why that is, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if it's because we've had bad hatches. We've had a large amount of rain. The predation is up. I'm not exactly sure what the cause of that. I think they're doing a lot of research, but in our, we know there's a ton of Turkey hunting pressure, down in Southeast Oklahoma where we bow hunt, but we also got a lot of turkeys on trail camera. I don't know. I don't know what the correlation is there, but in my mind, there's more turkeys than there's been in recent
1: years. So your best uneducated guess, what would you think is the number one cause for the turkey decrease?
0: Dude, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a botanist. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not a biologist. (laughs) Uh, Dude, I, I increased predation. I mean, that's that would be my my number one guess. When I see a poult, uh, turkeys already can't fly. They're they're not great. You know, they're basically birds that can't fly, so they don't have great defense mechanisms. And when I see a poult, I mean, dude, that's like a little chicken. Nothing can't eat a little chicken. Uh, yeah. So I, I would just say increased predation and maybe I, adverse weather conditions that don't. I I don't know. I I don't, I don't really know. What do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, the, the nest predation, uh, w- whether that be from bad, uh, management practices like burns when they're not really supposed to burn, uh, or, you know, feral hogs are picking up. I mean, they've been picking up, but their numbers aren't really decreasing. So, uh, no. I feel like the nests are kind of hurting on, on that end and, I did a TikTok about this, and reading through the comments, well, about about the turkey uh, numbers decreasing, and it was pretty interesting, like like informative, because that's what they said. They said bad management practices. They said it was like the hogs, and then they said since we have a low number of people, uh, like fur bears, like trapping and stuff, the coon population is super healthy. The like the possums all. Everything that just will absolutely murder a turkey nest, all those numbers are, are are super high. So there's it's really not a shock that that uh in a lot of states they're having like one and a half to two pulks per hen instead of the average of like four to five.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I think another thing we didn't touch on that you could add was be the increased hunting pressure due to COVID. Um, in the last few years, I know that there's record license sales, record amount of people that were able to get out during Turkey season in not only 2020, but 2021 as well. So, you know, these birds operate on four year cycles, right? A four year b- bird would be a really, really old bird. So you get one bad year of this, you're going to see bad Turkey hunting for several years to come. So I think that could be another reason, um, we have really increased hunting pressure and the birds just aren't, they're not reproducing and surviving like they should.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: All right. Let's move on to our last and final question from an OG and two time repeat offender on the podcast, Chad Allen Jones five. <laughs> he says, what is your best tip for hunting public land? Jake, take this one first. I'll, I'll follow up.
1: You, you make me take the hardest one first, huh? That's it's a very broad question. Yeah. Uh, depending on where you hunt, I'm just going to talk about where we hunt because that's about the only piece of public I've, I've hunted, uh, for starters, I'd probably say throw some cameras out and maybe find a buddy or two because depending on how you hunt, if you stay down there, you know, a couple days or a weekend, it's not as fun to hunt by yourself. For me personally, like, I I know there's some like, yeah, that that just eat that up. But yeah, I would say find some buddies, go throw out some trail cameras, and uh, just kind of uh, go from there. If you got good picks, obviously hunt near there, depending. I won't go into the whole like cycle, like, oh, you know, if you get pictures in July, you know, you might want to go back a mile. Cause that's that's where I would hunt, but that's what I would do. Find some buddies, throw out some trail cameras, go from there. That's fair. That's it's very simplistic, but what would you say?
0: I'm trying to think which angle to take this from. I, I'd say my best tip for hunting public land, if you want to be successful, is would be getting away from people. That's be my number one thing, right? So, depending on where you hunt. Um, there may be a ton of pressure. There might not be any at all, but, um, finding, I think defeating people is almost more of a challenge than defeating the deer at some points. So finding those spots that it doesn't have to be these spots that are really hard to get to, but maybe that are overlooked, maybe that don't look like anything on the map. Um, and then putting time into scouting. I think that's super important. Um, you're saying hang trail cameras. I'm saying not only hang trail cameras, but go put boots on the ground and go in and find places that you don't want to hunt. X those areas out and kind of narrow down your search. I think your odds increase dramatically of harvesting a deer. Once you have put boots on the ground, you actually understand what the place looks like and you can get some data. That's why we like running those wild game innovations. Those Terra 8s, the one we just did a YouTube review on, is putting those cheap cameras out on public land and getting data can be it can do one of two things tell you exactly where to hunt or tell you no, where not to hunt That's And true. that has helped us more than anything it's just understanding hey i may i not may not be in the exact tree but i am in the right area and you can have some sort of confidence of when you're up in the tree so i'd say scouting man if you don't put any time scouting don't expect to be successful just like shooting your bow if you don't shoot your bow and you go out there and you miss a buck on opening day well what do you think was going to happen you're just going to walk in and shoot one. No, same thing with scouting.
1: Well, yeah, you, you basically said what I was trying to say. You just said it better, you know, trail camera. Well, obviously you got to put boots on the ground to hang a trail camera. Come on now.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, that's all, uh, that's all we got as far as Q and guess a few updates for you guys that are following along with us. We still waiting on our Kansas results. We'll find out on the Kansas whitetail draw on June 1st. I think that's when it is. And then what else do we got up coming up?
1: Uh, Tag-wise, I don't know, but I know uh, we got to do a little bit of scouting ourselves. We got to play pretty pretty fast.
0: We got to get some cameras out in Oklahoma. I'm kind of waiting for that June 1st date so I can know, do I need to get cameras out in Kansas? That's true. That's another one. Um, I know that I haven't taken a vacation in five months. I need some I need some time off to reset. When are
1: you, or... uh, when are you going to go work on your uh, lease?
0: I don't know. Probably in June. In probably June. in June. I got 110-acre lease that I'm probably going to try to. I wish I would have done some burning on it. Gosh dang, that place is thick. It'll
1: be fine. If anything, it's just a little sanctuary, you know? Yeah.
0: Uh, We're going to put wheat in. We're going to go in and um, spray and then no-till and drill some wheat. And then my plan is to stay out of there. For months. Um, so we'll probably go do that midsummer. We got a lot of things coming up. We got a lot of scouting to do, a lot of cameras to hang. And then uh, that's about all we got going on right now. It's the, the May lull. And, and we're waiting to get our mounts back too.
1: Oh, that's yeah. true. That's exciting though. I think looking back, so our taxidermist posts on Facebook, you know, like just a picture of a whole wall of mounts he's working on. And that's kind of what me and Christian do. Every time we see him post or something, we'll go and look and we'll zoom in on the picture, you know, looking through all the mounts, seeing if it's, you know, one of ours that we can recognize. And I thought I seen mine, but I'm not a hundred percent sure, but me and Christian dropped ours off at the exact same time. So you would think ours would be in the same batch. So I don't know. Do you think that's yours? I don't know. That looked, I don't know.
0: The only thing that got me was that that back lab. that his it would be he's his, yeah. That one G two looks longer than the G three, yeah. But it's the exact same form that you asked for too. So exact same
1: form. It's yeah, it's an eight. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe maybe I was like the very last one on that. You know that little cutoff down the list.
0: Maybe I mean he said he ordered thirty two forms and only got nine, and there looks like. There's about twelve forms on the wall right there, so you could have been one of the lucky ones.
1: Hmm.
0: That's the first. I am ready to absolutely go and just rip all the hundred-dollar bills out of my pocket and lay them <laughs> on his table. Take my mount and, yeah. dude, taxidermy is one of those things where they 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 bend you over and then you smile about it when you leave. It's like it's so confusing. That's true. <laughs> Never have I smiled when I'm handing someone eight hundred dollars besides besides when i'm picking up deer 800 this is $1200
1: work yeah no i think it's like 450 though i'm pretty sure hell it might be 500 i'm not sure
0: i think it's 500 i think it is cuz yeah yeah it is it is 500 and i can tell you why because when i went and dropped two off i asked how much is it and he said 1000 and i was like
1: oh my god well hey think of this you put a hundred dollar down payment, or I guess two hundred dollars. Yep, so only eight hundred, baby. <laughs> yes! What a deal! Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Such good work, and it's just uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if we do like a lot of these out of state ones, like if we go to Arkansas or whatever, and like one of us shoots like I don't want to say I don't want to call it your dink, but if one of them shoots a dink, maybe practice on that one. Yeah, that's true. I'm not a taxidermist, but give it a try. Yeah, either that or just send him down, Charles Beatty. When is that happening? The pod? The pod.
0: I think the first weekend of June is what we discussed. Um, We haven't discussed it really anymore. I'm trying to get to these next couple weeks, but yeah, first weekend of June I think would be good. I need to talk with Lauren about it, but... That would be a, a great time to shoot a couple pods. You come down. We c- man, I've been I'll tell you, I've been trying to hold off on getting my deer mounts back because I really want to knock out like five birds in one weekend. And if I got the mounts back, we could shoot a couple uh, podcasts. We could do true. the videos. I mean, we could knock out everything in that weekend.
1: Yeah, we need to do the close uh, yeah, we need to do the close but no cigar segment we got to do the mounts we got a couple bids and I th- i'm pretty sure carol's going to come down with me and we got to play golf yeah it's going to so be a weekend it, well so 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 far that's four birds yeah one more bird and, it, and it's a
0: whole weekend <laughs> yeah we're rambling here but anyways if you guys are enjoying the podcast make sure to leave us a rating interview. We're trying to get up to 100 rating interviews. We got a lot of listeners on the show, but I don't know why you guys won't scroll and just hit that five-star button. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.